Homes.com knows having the right agent can make or break your home search. That's why they provide home shoppers with an agent directory that gives you a detailed look at each agent's experience, like the number of closed sales in a specific neighborhood, average price range, and more. It lets you easily connect with all the agents in the area you're searching so you can find the right agent with the right experience and ultimately the right home for you. Homes.com. We've done your homework. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. There's Jerry. This is Stuff You Should Know. And it's Stuff You Should Know about something that has nothing to do with the sun. <laughs> Are you relieved? Yes. Are you uh, suffering? post-traumatic podcast disorder a little bit yeah but um but overall i'm feeling good about this okay about this one coming up yeah finish strong yeah what did jerry say always do the suck one first yeah well so far so good <laughs> yep it just remains to be seen whether this one's great but i don't see how it could be worse than the aurora one well this one about human head transplants um after i picked it i thought Gee, should we even be covering this? Because, Why? Well, if you read opinion pieces about this potential head transplant surgery, which we'll get to, uh, a lot of people are saying like, this is, this is bad. This is junk science. This is dangerous medicine mm-hmm. and you shouldn't even be talking about this stuff. Right. But then I read an article in the Atlantic, um, and it's the Atlantic. And I was like, you know what, if they're covering this, uh, then we should cover it too. And people probably said the same thing about kidney transplants and heart transplants and skin grafts, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. But I think the the big difference with this is, and I think this is what the medical and bioethical community has a problem with, there's this one maverick, possibly lunatic scientist, surgeon, who is plowing ahead with this surgery with the rest of the medical field worldwide basically saying stop stop like you can't do this this is we're not there yet and he's saying nope we're there i've even got somebody who's willing to do this we're going to give it a shot well yes yes and no he's a lot of that is and this atlantic article really kind of spells everything out Uh a lot of that is um, bravado out of this dude. Right. And there is probably no way that he's going to do this in December of this year. Like he's said he is. Yeah. He's said that he is 
going to go ahead with the surgery, at least officially is what he's saying, in December of 2017. That's not going to happen. Specifically, he's going to do it with a uh, Russian uh, computer engineer uh, named Valery Spiridonov. And, um, that may not happen with him. He... So he has a, a Spiridonov has something called Wernig Hoffman disease, which is a spinal spinal muscular dystrophy. Yeah, or atrophy. And um, has he backed out now? Because he seemed pretty gung ho in everything I saw. No, he's gung ho, but he is on record as saying like, I don't want to be a part of an expensive uh, euthanasia, uh, whatever procedure. Yeah, well, that makes sense. I mean, the whole reason he wants to do this is to uh, to get better, to improve his lot. He's wheelchair bound, and his his muscles are withering away. Uh, and he's thirty, and he he wants to be mobile again. He's thirty one so now, but yeah, I would he imagine started, he was thirty. Yeah, he doesn't want to do this just to die, right? So he's kind of um, and and what we're talking about. I guess we should just go ahead if people are severely confused. It's called a human head transplant. But what it really is, is a human body transplant. Because what you're doing is, is you're taking a person, in this case, this Russian gentleman, uh, who has a fully functioning, uh, brain and from the neck up is fine, but his body is wasting away. And when they get, uh, to the point where they can do the surgery, they're going to get a body from a recently, very recently deceased person. Or, or, or soon to be deceased person. Yeah, they would just need to be brain dead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and move the heads, which would in turn give, uh, what, what's his name? Valerie, a a new body. Yes. Exactly. Which is as radical of a thing as you could ever imagine. There is no more radical medical procedure as we currently stand right now no, in this. No no chance, not even close. And it's not like they're even swapping the heads. The, the donor's head just gets thrown away. <laughs> well. In a bucket. Yeah, uh, I guess. <laughs> for for a little Chuck to find. Yeah. I didn't think about that, but um, there's, yeah, you don't put it back on. No, there's no point in it. So this, this head transplant or body transplant, depending on your perspective, the whole idea, obviously, it's kind of an old idea like it goes back to frankenstein and uh you can make a case that frankenstein is based on even earlier stuff like creating a golem from clay that kind of stuff Uh um but the idea is not new but the idea that it could actually be done is fairly new um the the this surgeon who's planning on carrying it out dr sergio uh he published an article in 2013 and said, here's how I, I, I plan to do this. And we'll get to that in a minute. But in the article that he wrote, the journal article he wrote, laying out how the surgery could be done, one of the first things he does is cite um, similar surgeries that were carried out on animals. Yeah, which we've covered these before in um, past episodes, I think, on... Like, I think one of them was a top 10 list, like awful medical procedures or something. Yeah. I can't remember. But, uh, this one, one case specifically that stands out was in 1954. There was a Russian doctor named Vladimir, uh, Demikov. And he, uh, very famously 
grafted the head and forelegs of one dog onto another dog. Um, and apparently the, both of the heads could smell and hear and see and swallow and scream and lived. Um, I think he did this a few times and the biggest success was one of these dogs lived for 29 days. Right. Which is actually from what I'm seeing, that's a very, very long time. Yeah. Um, and this is at a time in the, what'd you say, 54, 1954? Yeah. Um, this is a time when the only successful transplants that had been carried out in humans were bone, blood vessels, and corneas. They'd never done a major organ transplant yeah. yet. And this guy's getting dogs with grafted heads, two heads to live for 29 days. So it was a big deal. But even still, and I'm sure at the time people were like, that's pretty tasteless. Um, it, when looking back, Historically, you're like, why don't do that? Stop. I wish that it never happened. Yeah. What were you doing? And apparently, uh, Demikov's ultimate goal was to just basically get transplants down and create a bank of organs, an organ bank to where if you need a transplant, you could get any transplant you need at any time. Um, transplants would just be so routine. And he saw this as a, a means to, to an end, learning techniques. Because apparently grafting dogs together would help you with that. Right. Which, I mean, it makes makes a case. Yeah, he wasn't a mad scientist. He was trying to advance medicine. Right. Uh, so in 1970, there was there, – I noticed there had just been really big gaps in a lot of this stuff for good reason, I guess. Um, but in 1970, in, right here in the United States, uh, there was a rhesus monkey uh, in Cleveland. And one Dr. Robert White uh, performed a head transplant. And the monkey survived neurologically for 36 hours, but uh, I believe he never actually connected the spinal cord. No, no. And that's the big, the biggest hurdle right now. Yeah, it was and still is. So, so Dr. White, I mean, still, this is pretty significant. He transplanted a head from one monkey to another. And managed to um, connect the the major veins and arteries, um, and resuscitated. Managed to resuscitate the the monkey, um, and it lived for a few days. But um, apparently, it was uh, just an awful thing. Even even at the time, one of the scientists that was there, who's actually become um, Dr. Canavero, the surgeon who wants to do the human head transplant, this this other guy's become one of his greatest and most outspoken public critics. Um, he was there at the time when this this um, experiment in 1970 was carried out, and he said, "This is this is a terrible thing to do, even to a monkey." He said, "We tried to feed it the first time we fed it; the food spilled out of its trachea onto the floor." Yeah, good lord. Um, it, it was just an awful thing, and this guy's really beating the drum to like stop Doctor Canavero from from carrying this out because he was there saying, or he saw the he saw the monkey experiments, but Canavero is saying, "You can say that all you want; all the food could have spilled out on the floor." doesn't matter because it was successful. It, it, the monkey was revived for three days. But everybody agrees there was there, 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 they didn't connect the spinal column, and that's the big hurdle. That's one of the biggest unknowns with the actual head transplant. Yeah, and uh, more recently, in the past couple of uh, years, in fact, I think just last year, there's a, a surgeon who's actually partnered up with the Italian uh, doctor named... Um, 
Xiaoping Ren, uh, and he's a surgeon in Harbin, China, who has successfully done this on mice. Yeah, there, he's also partnered with another um, researcher at uh, Kongkuk University in Seoul, Korea, yeah. South Korea, who's also carrying these these some stuff out on mice. And Canavero is basically using these studies to say, hey, this is possible. But apparently the scientific community is saying, yeah, this is these are not necessarily good studies. Well, and Ren, uh, Dr. Ren in China, like, for what I gather, he is... Um He's the one that's saying, like, let's just slow our roll here um, and do this. If we ever try to do it, do it when we really think we can. Like, I've done a monkey. I've done some mice. Um, we're not ready to do a human yet, so let's just not talk about um, Valerie in December of 2017. And please stop doing TED Talks and going on news programs and just shut up for a little while. <laughs> That doesn't sound like that's in Sergio Canavero's DNA. No, he is very brash, sort of, uh, he, he's, he, they said in this article, he uses, he says bread instead of money, like, hey, if I can't raise the money, I'll go to, uh, someone like, uh, Zuckerberg and get the bread to do this. <laughs> it says here in the Atlantic article, he says, uh, Canavero tends to make blowhard statements that, uh, denigrate his critics like this. I'm into jujitsu, uh, jujitsu, he told me. So I have the martial arts mind that you need to tackle all the morons that come with idiotic questions. <laughs> he's not doing himself any favors. Uh, yeah, I don't think he sees it like that from what I'm seeing. Like there's this, I saw, um, where I get all my news, the Daily Mail. I saw a Daily Mail article on him and his procedure and it has a photo shoot of him wearing scrubs with a man's head on a platter. Yeah. Like doctors don't do that. They don't do photo shoots like that. They they are not trying to court controversy. They're like yes, if you're a surgeon, like you you have some part of your fiber is pretty cocky and arrogant. Maybe even have a god complex. I think it's kind of required typically with um with that field, that profession, right? This guy is exponentially beyond anything that's even high end for a normal surgeon as far as egotism and um and blowhardness goes most of them don't don't boast about jujitsu publicly no uh in fact most scientists and doctors um most don't like him at all they said this is one quote uh he glibly glides past major problems with his human centipede level medical horror show his plan (laughs) is insane like james bond villain insane and will amount to an elaborate act of slow torture and murder. Yeah. So I think he's partially, obviously, really like that as a dude, but they don't have the money it takes. They don't have the bread, like $100 million to do this. And I think he (laughs) thinks all this media attention is what is going to get him the bread to carry out this operation. (laughs) You're going to call it bread from now on? (laughs) Just through this show. Did you see $100 million? The most I saw was $13 million. Oh, I mean, I've seen it all over the place. That's the thing. Yeah. I've seen it takes anywhere from 30 doctors to 100 doctors to assist in this, which is one of the other big problems is getting up to 100 legit doctors that will do this. Right. You know? This guy's like walking clickbait. Oh, yeah. So well, let's take a break, man, and then we'll come back and we'll 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 tell all the grisly details of his plan. 
All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! Hey, it's Danielle, Will, and Ryder from Pod Meets World. Thanks to our friends at Hyundai, we were able to record a very special episode for you guys at the one and only, wait for it, Boy Meets, Meets World House. House. Take a listen. We are lucky to be sitting with Alan and Amy Matthews in the flesh, William, Rusty Russ, and Betsy Randall. Yay! Thank you. Thank you. When, yes. those, when those legends get here, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> you're here. You're here already. No. Uh, we didn't either when we were watching yeah, this. That's, that's, that's we didn't the problem. realize it until we uh, oh. started getting into seasons three and four. And now we're like, oh, my God. We were both so good on the show. And we missed it because we were we young. Were kids and, and so self-involved. Egomaniacs. Yeah. And <laughs> didn't realize well, no, how great you were. We've talked about it. I think you just assumed everybody was as good as them. And, right. and then right. you get into right. as you grow up and you work with other actors, you realize how oh. lucky we were yeah. to have you guys. This has been brought to you by the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. New episode out now. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Chuck. So back in 2013, this Sergio Canavero hit the scene in a journal. Um, oh, what's the journal called? Surgical Neurology International. It's an open source journal. Yeah, he's no quack, we should point out. He's been published a lot, and he's a legit surgeon. Right, like he obviously knows what he's talking about. Yeah. It's just the gamble that he's taking is so so obviously stacked against him yeah. that you that I think most people would say you would have to be insane to actually do it, or so reckless and indifferent to the fate of your patient that you right. shouldn't be practicing medicine in the first place. Yeah, because almost 100% of the doctors that they've talked to said this will end in this man's death. Yeah, like like think about this. They're working on rats. Rats have the best outcome of any animal so far and they they have like 30 to 50% survival rate among rats. But even that just means that 30 to 50% survived no more than one day after having their head transplanted. Yeah. They died from the surgery one way or another. It's just that survival rate meant that they were managed to be revived after the surgery. Yeah. It doesn't mean that they went on to live a healthy life and bounce their grandchildren on their knee. They died within a day. Yeah. There's no way that it wouldn't kill a human being. Yeah, I mean, even if the guy survived, the likelihood of him being like, well, I got my new body now is is <laughs> yeah, like right. 0%. Watch me bench this. 
Although he's, <laughs> uh, Canavero said he has a 90% chance of living a regular life. And Dr. Ren in China is saying, no, he doesn't quit saying that. Right. You know? Yeah. This guy is, he's exactly the kind of surgeon for this age, isn't he? Yeah, he really is, actually. You know? Oh, it's 90, 90% chance he'll have a normal life. Where'd you get that? Well, it just sounds good. We'll just uh, go with that. Yeah. He, he fits with the times. So back in 2013 in that journal, Surgical Neurology International, um, Canavero published basically a step-by-step outline of how this, um, this surgery would go down. Yeah. And it's, it's not super in depth. It's just, it's basically an overview, but it, it hits, you know, most of the, the salient points. And he's basically gone and, and taken different surgeries and assembled them into this one massive surgery that would be a head transplant from one donor to the next or one donor to the recipient. Yeah. And I think even doctors say this isn't like, you know, he's not crazy. Like when you look at it, it's, it all kind of makes sense. They're just saying like, it's, it's not going to work. Right. And that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And the big stumbling block is going to be the spinal cord because basically everything else he's, he's all these other surgeries that he's cobbling together are proven surgeries. Like they can be done. It's that's that connecting the spinal cord. Um, that's, that's the biggest obstacle during the surgery. All right. Should we go through this thing? Let's. So the first thing you do is you need two teams, uh, two surgery teams, obviously, because you have two bodies in there in the same operating theater yeah you there's got to be a very quick i think they said the heads have to be or the head has to be reattached in like under an hour to have any chance right but the spinal columns have to be reattached within less than two minutes but you have an hour for the whole procedure from from the moment the heads are cut off so the first step chuck is you remember how we had um we did a an episode on a therapeutic hypothermia. Yeah. So they they plan to use therapeutic hypothermia where they cool the head of the recipient down to like 50 degrees. Yeah. Which, you know, normally it's 98.6 degrees. And at that temperature, um, metabolism slows tremendously. So since you have fewer processes going on in the cells, you have less of a need for oxygen, which is good because you're cutting the head off of the body and oxygen can be hard to come by. So by um, cooling the bo- the head down to 50, I think 54 degrees Fahrenheit, which is, I believe, 10 degrees Celsius, um, the, the, the metabolism slows down enough that you're buying yourself that hour. Remember, there's that hour time limit. That's because you've cooled down the head, slowing the metabolism, and um, that gives you that hour to carry out the surgery. So you're cooling the head on the recipient, and then you're cooling the spinal column to the same temperature on the donor. Right. So uh, everyone's gotten cooled down to that point. The recipient is going to be lying down at first and then, uh, later, like during the surgery and then during recovery and everything, um, he's going to be in a seated position. Um, because I guess, I guess that just makes sense with gravity. You'd want to be seated. Doesn't that make sense? I think it makes the surgery easier for the surgeons too. 
Well, but during recovery, too, like they're not going to lay him back down. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever be allowed to lay down again. Maybe not. So uh, they make the incisions at each neck. Uh, they expose the arteries, uh, the spine, the jugular veins. Um, obviously, they're going to clamp everything off. Um, they color code all the muscles, um, which sounds funny, but it's actually pretty smart, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, just like wires in a, in a circuit would be color coded. Uh, they want everything hooked back up to the right thing, so they're color-coding muscles. And they leave right. the spinal cord for the last thing. Yeah, this is the this, this this is the very, very tricky part here. This is where everybody's like, okay, you're crazy if you try this. But Dr. Canavero says if you cut the spines, the spinal columns of each of the, um, the donor and the recipient with a sharp enough blade you make a surgical cut, you should be able to promote regeneration of those nerves that you're cutting um, when you reattach them. That if, if the cut is precise enough, the damage that's normally associated with a surgical sever, or not a surgical sever, a spinal sever from like some sort of trauma or injury, um, you won't have all the attendant like scarification and inflammation that you would uh, from that, if you're doing it surgically with surgical precision, so yeah, that's, because that's a big that's a big thing that he's saying. Yeah, that's one of the the biggest um, stumbling blocks to getting these nerves to reconnect. Is the second they're cut, they're going to start to form scar tissue, which makes it much harder to reattach. So, right. in the case of these mice in China, they use a, a one thousand dollar scalpel with a diamond blade so thin that it's transparent. Wow. And so um, this is too small, obviously, for this procedure, but they're going to get a scalpel like that uh, big enough to, you know, to work on a human. Right. So here's actually we'll just say a lot of the things that are are, that people object to with this. But but what what kind of arrow is saying um, is that with this cut, uh, when you when you take the spines, are, are we at the head yet? Have we moved the head? Um, well, yeah, we've, we've cut the head and there, people should rest easy knowing they're not just picking the head up. Apparently it's going to be transferred on a, on a specially built crane with Velcro straps. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the crane is actually kind of clever too, because it can just hold it aloft above the donor body, right? So that allows for the surgeons to connect everything. Again, in comfort without having to get into any weird positions or whatever. Um, With this floating head staring at them. Yeah, the floating head hanging over the seated headless body. Oh, man. This is the point that we're at right now. So one of the first things they'll do, um, well, the first thing they're, they're doing, because remember, you have less than two minutes between when you cut the spinal column and when you reattach it. Yeah. Um, so the first thing they're going to do is attach the the spinal column in the recipient's head and the spinal column in the donor's body. And they're going to put this stuff in that apparently is made of magic. And it's called PEG, yeah. polyethylene glycol glue. It's a medical surgical glue yeah. that supposedly works some, some wonders on the, the body. Yeah, it is like magic, and I don't understand how it works. I'm not going to pretend on this show. But... um. In China, with these mice, uh, before they did the transplant, they would literally just take this blade, 
they would sever the spinal cord of this poor little mouse, and then they would take it. It's apparently it looks like watered down scotch, and they would uh, it's like an amber fluid, and they would take a drop of it, drop it on that little spinal column, stitch the mouse up, and then the mouse would walk again. Yeah, that's that's something that they were reporting from those that these mice had their spinal columns totally severed, and then reattached glued together with polyethylene glycol. And yeah, within, what, like three weeks, I think, or a couple of weeks, the mice were walking again. This one was two days. Jeez. Oh, it, it was the dog that took three weeks. Yeah, and it said it, the mouse did not walk perfectly. Its back legs lurched at times. But what but do you But compared to a control mouse, uh, yeah, the control mouse could, couldn't walk. It would just pull the back legs behind itself. So... um this this polyethylene glycol, right? Apparently, what it does is it it it's hydrophilic and it attracts fats to it. So it'll go in. You squ- you squirt some into like the um, the the incision or the gap between the two spinal columns, and uh, allegedly, what it will do is attract these damaged cells and basically fuse them together. They fuse together and regenerate basically into cells that's one thing it does and then there's this this peg that's um kind of enhanced i guess that these researchers at rice university are coming up with they call it texas peg um that has graphene nanospirals in it and those serve as basically a structure for the cells to grow along and the whole point of using peg here aside from the fact that it can help cells repair and regenerate is that when canavero cuts the spinal column he will have severed these nerves and axons the white matter that that transmit electricity through the body from the brain and vice versa um and they need to reattach. And if they don't touch one another, um, they're going to grow past one another, and the the the, tr- the electrical transmission will never be able to take place. He's saying if you use PEG, and then these Texas researchers are saying if you use Texas PEG, these nanostructures will provide a structure for the the um, neurons the, or the axons to grow along, and they will reconnect and regrow, and the person should be able to have electrical transmission through their nerves again on the spinal column. This is the most controversial point so far. Yeah, and they're also going to have um, electrical paddles uh, on hand because apparently a burst of electricity can help reestablish that communication when you've severed the spinal cord. So you want to take a break right now? Yes. And uh, come back and finish up with this gruesome operation right after this. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. 
Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! Hey, it's Danielle, Will, and Ryder from Pod Meets World. Thanks to our friends at Hyundai, we were able to record a very special episode for you guys at the one and only, wait for it, Boy Meets World House! Take a listen. We are lucky to be sitting with Alan and Amy Matthews in the flesh, William, Rusty Russ, and Betsy Randall. Yay! Thank you. Thank you. Yes. When those legends get here, let me know. <laughs> you're here. You're here already. No. Uh, we didn't either when we were watching yeah, this that's day. The thing. That's we the didn't problem. realize it until we uh, started getting into seasons three and four, and now we're like, oh my God. You were both so good on the show, and we missed it because we were we young. Were kids and, and so self-involved. Egomaniacs yeah. and didn't realize <laughs> well, no, how great you were. We've talked about it. I think you just assumed everybody was as good as them. And, right. and then right. you get into, right. as you grow up and you work with other actors, you realize how oh. lucky we were yeah. to have you guys. This has been brought to you by the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. New episode out now. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. All right. So we have now put the crazy glue, Texas style, in place. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything's reattached, all the color-coded uh, muscles and nerves and arteries and veins like they've taken great care they finally sewed the head on and then they're going to um they're not just gonna say good luck with recovery they're actually gonna (laughs) induce a medical coma with this gentleman whether it ends up being um the the russian or somebody else um because he he's got a fatal disease he may not make it if this keeps getting delayed i don't think we mentioned that he's not just like I don't want to live my life like this. Like he shouldn't have lived this long. Gotcha. I so, didn't realize he was that, that bad off. Yeah. I think only 10% of people with his condition make it into adulthood. Wow. And doctors are all like, you should have, you know, you're on borrowed time as it is. You should have gotten a head transplant years ago. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, they're actually going to induce a medical coma. Um, I don't know for how long did it say? I saw like three, three weeks. Is what he was roughly estimating. Just to keep everything, just to get everything growing back together as I calmly as possible. That with while preventing movement, too. Yeah, like the possibility of movement. He's just not moving for three weeks. Which I mean, hello, bed sores. Am I right? <laughs> Although I guess that's probably the least of your worries when you've just gotten a head transplant. Yeah, I think so. But that's that they. I believe that's it. So they're they're going to be. Inducing a medical coma, and then they'll be passing electrical charges through the spinal column to try to induce um, axon regrowth and repair the, this this whole time. Yeah. And then after three weeks, they'll get up, do a cartwheel, and run right out of the hospital. No. After three weeks, uh, maybe he'll open his eyes and move his mouth. Um, that would be a success to a certain degree. Uh, what they're really going to be looking for is... Uh, anything below the neck moving. Um, if he wiggles his fingers or his toes, that is a breakthrough like we've never had in 
medicine before. Yeah. Um, but even if that happens, that would be just the beginning of a very, very long road of, uh, not only physiological rehab, but, uh, psychological rehab. Yeah. Apparently the psychological impact a lot of people are worried about when, um, Canavero wrote, uh, the, the initial article in 2013 in that same journal, a couple of other Italian surgeons wrote into the editors and said, there are a lot of things wrong with this ethically. Yeah. Even, even just put aside all of the questions surgically, ethically, you know, this guy's not taking these things into account. One of the things they pointed out was that insanity would be a likely outcome from a, a head or body transplant because we form our, our sense of ourselves cognitively in large part through our body. So if you suddenly have a different body, yeah. you're, you would, you basically wake up to you overnight with, with to a big fat, uh, body identity crisis or identity crisis in general. Yeah, I mean they've had uh they've seen this act out in like hand transplants and that's really you know you can't see your liver or kidney or your heart mm-hmm. uh or cornea like stuff like that but um but I'm sure it's still you still think about Oh sure. the, the fact that your your kidney is from somewhere else but you don't have to see it all the time. Yeah, exactly. So just that reminder of a hand much less an entire body, uh, is going to be emotionally and psychologically challenging, to say the least. Right. Um, there's some other questions that this definitely raises as well. Um, for example, if you wanted to change your gender, would this be acceptable, an acceptable surgery? I tend to say yes on that one. Like in a, change your entire body? Yeah. Instead of just parts of your body? Yeah. Just, just, you know, uh, that makes sense. It's like all at once, bam, done. What about someone who, what if this works and someone was super rich and Mm -hmm. just wanted a different body? Like I want to be eight inches taller and muscular. So let's do this. Here's (laughs) $80 million. (laughs) Uh, I would have an issue with that for, for one reason, and that would be that you have just taken the um the body of a potential organ donor that could have saved multiple lives of people who needed those organs you took them because you wanted to be 8 inches taller other than that if if there was a yeah I, well, that's a pretty big one i don't even i don't even want to qualify it with saying other than that i have no problem with it cuz that's such a huge problem it it disqualifies it in my eyes <laughs> uh here's the good news though is that um he doesn't have to get a hundred percent of these cells to remain intact. Uh, there are studies out there, like, you know, legit studies that say, uh, your, your motor function, your basic motor function can be preserved if you just get 20% of those cells wow. to remain intact. So, um, the Atlantic says if he failed to fuse every four or five, um, he could fail on every, uh, I'm sorry, four of every five nerve cells, mm-hmm. and it still might succeed in there. Right. And well, the thing is, is Canavero's whole thing is anytime somebody raises an objection to it, he's like, peg, peg, polyethylene glycol will handle it. And it does seem to work some pretty amazing miracles, but the, the it, it's not 
just some cure-all magic stuff that just fixes everything, it remains to be seen. And uh, what's kind of fishy is a lot of the, um, or some of the recent papers on peg and what an, an amazing miracle compound it is are edited by canavero himself so right the guy who's saying no it's this miracle substance you should read about it is the one who's editing the stuff that he's telling you to go read about you know yeah uh i don't even think we mentioned just like an organ can be rejected the it could reject the body outright from the beginning mm-hmm. uh which would be a uh, catastrophic failure. Um, that that would kill you if your he- your body rejects your or your head. Yeah, well, I'm just glad he's hooked up with Doctor Wren at least because before that, um, before they had made contact, he was he was plowing full steam ahead um, and still wants to, but he hadn't even he wasn't trying it on mice and and monkeys. You know, like he hooked up with someone who was. It's like, oh well, you're you're doing the real work. Let's get together on this. So his um his idea was that he would have to practice on cadavers. That's a good uh, idea. Yeah, he'd need to practice on cadavers. But apparently, that would come after practicing on um, animals. And apparently, he, according to to bioethicists, he would be hard pressed to get approval even to carry out a, a, an experiment like this on animals these days. Yeah, and most medical ethics boards would be like, "No, this is unnecessary. This is not. You shouldn't be doing this. So don't do that." At least in the United States, I should say. Well, he's never going to do this here. He would almost certainly have to do this in China. Uh, they have a lot more latitude. I saw v- there's this hospital in Vietnam that's like, us, us, we'll do it. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Because they probably can get funding and uh, press, would be my I guess. Mean, yeah, I would imagine. I know they went to uh, the Russians, because this gentleman is Russian, and he thought they could get the government to chip in, and they said no. And so now he is literally trying to raise money by selling bread. things. Raise bread. He's trying to raise bread. By selling like mugs and keychains and stuff, this is not a lie. With his head on like these these muscular bodies and stuff. Wow! So it's uh, I did see I finally found it. It said between ten and a hundred million dollars, which is pretty big uh, latitude there. Yeah, I mean, there's like a there's a. It's pretty easy to point at Canavero and be like, "Here, what's, what's your deal, man?" Yeah. But it it it, it makes it easy to to look past um, the patient Spiridonov's yeah um, situation. You know, like I'm sure he wants this to work so bad. Sure, it's heartbreaking. You know, yeah. I mean, so much so that, like he said, he doesn't want to just be an expensive uh, euthanasia procedure, but he also said, you know. I'm headed toward death here soon. Like, why not? Yeah. I saw one other thing. You got anything else? I got nothing else. There, I saw that another objection to this by the medical community would be that it could conceivably raise the yuck factor. That's what they call it. Um, among organ donation. Yeah. Uh, just in around among the general public. And this yuck factor, I checked it out because it was in scare quotes. It's a real thing. Um, and it, it, it's basically the general public's, um, disgust toward bio, 
like bio augmentation, weird surgeries, um, odd transplants. This, this, uh, a head transplant body or a body transplant or head transplant falls right into that weird yuck factor, almost like the uncanny valley. Yeah. And I read this article about it. And apparently there's something, there's a debate going on on whether humans have an inner wisdom of what is good or bad or acceptable. And when our yuck factor is activated, it's actually an inner wisdom that's saying, that's not okay. Don't do that. And this, this author was arguing that that's not true, that it's actually what is called folk biology, that humans are kind of pre-wired to have an idea of what's natural and what's normal, and we're just simply grossed out when we're faced with something that challenges that normalcy, but it doesn't mean that it's right or wrong. There's this debate over which one's correct, folk biology or the the inner wisdom. Wow, that's interesting. It is pretty interesting. Well, we did an entire uh, show in 2010... I think January, or maybe it was June. It started with the J, and it wasn't July. <laughs> uh, I wrote it down, but I just threw it away. Anyway, how organ donation works. So yeah, go check that, that was, out. That was a good one, and uh, the therapeutic hypothermia one. Check that out too. Yeah. Well, if you want to know more about this head transplant operation, you can type those words in the search bar at How Stuff Works, and it'll bring up a great article. And since I said that, it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this, um, what should I call this one? I'm going to call this uh, anniversary of the podcast. Hey, guys, my name's JP, and I'm a business administration major at Christopher Newport University currently studying at the University of Glasgow. Uh, going into a, my senior year, writing on my 21st birthday, which is also the fourth anniversary that I began following the podcast. Uh, my little brother introduced me to SYSK and I immediately binged roughly 300 episodes. Not sure how many people write in saying this, but I can proudly say I've listened to every single one. And yes, I know the episode in context of Hippie Rob's emergence. We haven't talked about him in a long time. No, he's been long gone. He seems like he would be like an assistant to the surgeon, you know? Hippie, I don't think that'd be a good idea. Oh, no, it's a bad idea. And I don't mean a medical assistant. I mean like a, you know, he'd do the jujitsu <laughs> on the idiot questions. Maybe, but it'd just be some like clumsy, like right. roundhouse kick that, that yeah, was yeah. just like six inches off the ground. <laughs> uh, the past four years have been some of the most influential on my life as a whole. Uh, and your podcast has played a huge part in how I've matured as an adult. Uh, through Chuck's soft-spoken tone and Josh's optimistic demeanor. How about that? <laughs> as well as Jerry's elite producing abilities. Uh, the podcast has made me look forward to Tuesdays, something I never thought was possible. I guess he doesn't listen to Thursdays. Optimistic? Yeah. Optimistic Weird. demeanor. That's you. Never, never would have called that one. Uh, aside from how much I enjoy the... Maybe he has us confused. Maybe. Because you have a soft-spoken tone. Yes, I do. Uh, Aside from how much I enjoy the podcast, you really shaped how I think things through, as well as my perspective on many issues. People often forget that some matters have multiple sides to them and that a full opinion should be developed from all the facts. Uh, I figured today was the most fitting to write in, given how much uh, the show means to me. Continue to look forward to Tuesdays and Thursdays. Oh, there you go. There you go. Uh, And I'm anxiously awaiting for the release of your next live tour schedule. Please come to D.C., uh, I think we are at some point, right? Yeah, sure. 
Uh, I've even gone as far as debating whether to get a tattoo, excuse me, a tattoo of the iconic Stuff You Should Know microphone, but oh, not wow. sure mom would approve of it. Um, John, I'm going to say don't do that. I don't know, John. Maybe do it. Don't do it. I have high hopes that you'll do it. <laughs> Your optimistic demeanor. Uh, anyways, keeping uh, keep doing what you're doing, guys. I'll be cheering from the sideline as you continue towards your goal of world domination. Cheers from Scotland, John Patrick Vittori. Oh, wow, and that was a nice little touch at the end. Thank you. Uh, and everybody in Glasgow, Chuck and I know it's Glasgow, <laughs> but we like saying Glasgow. It rolls off the tongue more. Did I say gal? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, who was that? John Patrick Vittori. That's right. Thanks a lot, John. We appreciate it. Uh, I say go for the tattoo, but probably shouldn't listen to me. I say don't. You should probably listen to Chuck. Uh, if you want to know more about... Oh, man. Something is wrong with me today, dude. <laughs> if you want to get in touch with me and Chuck like uh, John did, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast or Josh M. Clark. You can hang out with us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know or slash Charles W. Chuck Bryant. You can send us an email at StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Childproofing people's homes is hard. But Duracell is making it just a bit simpler. Not only are they committed to educating parents, caregivers, and medical professionals about the importance of battery safety, they make the only lithium coin batteries with a non-toxic bitter coating to help discourage children from swallowing them. Duracell even features child-secure packaging designed to avoid accidental opening. Learn more at Duracell.com slash power safely. Available on 2032, 2025, and 2016 sizes. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com.